I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chance, the co-founder of Next Move Group, and our guest today is up from the Commonwealth of Virginia, Colleen Kardash. She's the Loudoun County, Virginia Assistant Director of Economic Development. Colleen, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for having me, Chad. A lot of people have heard of Loudoun County, and I mean, you know, I'm saying it with this deep Southern accent, so you'll have to tell us how to say it. But a lot of people have heard of us because every time the election coverage is on, I can just picture the pundits zooming into your county showing how many votes are in but tell these folks where you're located and i know y'all are growing fast so tell these folks just Absolutely. a little bit about the community yeah so loudon county is in northern virginia where i have a population of just over four hundred thousand and rising very very quickly one of the fastest growing communities in the country we're about 25 miles west of washington dc if you've ever flown into dulles international airport you have landed in loudon county we're known for a lot of different things in Loudoun County, but two things you probably have heard of or you'll now look up and know more about is we have the largest concentration of data centers in the world. And we also have a very robust rural economic situation where we have over 40 farm wineries, a growing number of breweries. Craft beverage is an important part. We have the largest number of grapes on vine in the Commonwealth of Virginia in Loudoun County. Wow, so well, most data centers, most grapes. I knew you had a lot of data centers. I didn't know the whole winery thing. So that's good to know. It's wonderful. You know, Loudoun is this wonderfully diverse, large county sitting right in one of the highest growth populations in the country. So being able to port and grow that commercial tax base is what we do at economic development, but it's holistic. It's looking at data centers. It's looking at wineries, breweries, bed and breakfast, small businesses, and really supporting keeping that diversity and keeping rural loud and rural and continuing to grow our tech. And the Washington, D.C. metro is projected to come into Loudoun County in 2022. We like to say that the silver line will start in Loudoun County. You might hear people east of us say end in Loudoun. No, no. The silver line will start in Loudoun County in Ashburn and connect riders straight to the heart of Washington, D.C. without a stop. Well, I am sure as fast as y'all are growing, most of the people are not from there. 
So are you from there? I mean, what attracted you there? Right. So it's funny you said with your Southern accent, some people might pick up my Midwestern accent. Apparently, when I get going, I sound like I'm right from the heart of the Midwest, but I'm actually from Ohio. And you're absolutely right that there are a lot of people not from Loudoun who live in Loudoun. And that includes internationally. One in four Loudoun County residents are foreign born. So our international population is growing very rapidly. I came to Loudoun um, specifically to work for Loudoun County government, which I know you don't hear a lot these days, but there are very few places in the world where you can be in business development and economic development and be talking about net new growth and talking about you know, new opportunities for new industries. It's not all redevelopment. There's certainly redevelopment opportunities, but the arrival of Metro, the growing tech industry, particularly in biohealth, are really interesting. So I have a background in small business development. I'm a lawyer by training, don't hold that against me, and worked in local government and really just fell in love with Loudoun. So I moved my family here four years ago. And what's interesting about our department too is I think we have two out of 25 that actually come from economic development or an office made up of people from all different industries, public and private sector who come together to grow Loudoun. So it's a great place to live, work, learn, and play. Well, two of the reasons I really wanted you on our show is one, y'all won IEDC's EDO of the Year Award for your category. I think for your response to the crisis, and then I know y'all are doing some innovative things with the stimulus funding. Both of these, I think, will interest our listeners, but let's attack one at a time. Talk about what y'all did in the crisis that uh, maybe was different enough that led to you winning that IEDC award. Yeah, it was such an honor to win the Economic Development Organization of the Year and to be recognized for our longstanding efforts, but as you said, specifically for what we did for COVID. And one of the things that we did that I won't say is completely unique to Loudoun, but I think the depth at which we went after this is, is when the world was shutting down and we knew everything was changing and we had to send our staff home, we took our staff of 25, our traditional economic development staff, and every single staff member turned to business retention and outreach. We felt very, very strongly that that's what we needed to do. We needed to be boots on the ground, working with people, and to be a trusted value-add resource for our businesses, a no-wrong-door policy from the very beginning. If a business called, we were going to get them to a resource. We were going to move quickly. So in about 24 hours, we propped up a brand new website, a podcast, online resources, and had our entire team on the phone. So we've been asked many times since then, how did you do it? How did you get all this data? We're collecting a lot of information, writing a lot of reports now. And I kind of laugh and say, we picked up the phone. We went into our CRM system, pulled every business we had, looked at websites, went online. If somebody commented on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, that they were struggling, they got a call from a staff member. And we felt very strongly that it needed to be our staff. You know, the joke, you know, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. We wanted to mean it and people to know it and be able to point them to resources. We took a staff member and made them become an expert in PPP and IDLE so that we didn't have to route them to three more calls. They could answer those questions, help them with the process, make sure we had community banks on the line who were taking those applications and we could get them to someone quickly. And then the other thing we did is we went to our board of supervisors and we said, we need to give out money and it's probably gonna be a while before we get stimulus funds. We'd like to take our commercial incentive fund, what we do to normally incentivize business attraction, and we'd like to spend it now. And we'd like to start giving out business grants. 
And so we did that very early in the pandemic with the Board of Supervisors support. And we started offering cash grants between five and $10,000 to as many businesses as we could. So in that first round, we had about 1.2, I think $1.4 million just out of our budget. And we looked at it and said, we want to do this because what are we going to be attracting new companies to if our small businesses fail? If there are no main street businesses, if all the restaurants close, if, you know, daycares can't reopen when they're allowed to. And that was really important to us. And we did that all in-house. So we didn't outsource that to anybody. We created, uh, implemented, and then ran a grant program basically from April of 2020 until um, we're still going. So we opened a grant program under ARPA funds last week that we can talk about uh, that we're reopening tomorrow because the response was so overwhelming. So in total, Loud will have given $21 million in stimulus funds to local businesses. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So you mentioned you started a podcast channel. Is that something y'all are going to continue? I mean, how much of, I guess, the online interaction that you started do you think is going to continue even once the pandemic's over? You think it's just here to stay? I think a lot of it is here to stay. So obviously the messaging has shifted from crisis and emergency into long-term resiliency and planning. Um, The podcast is something that our executive director, Buddy Reiser, with his background in radio, I think we will definitely continue, but we will make that pivot like everybody else did and really want to offer ongoing support. What we saw, what we knew, but really saw in full light during the grant process was how many of our small businesses were struggling with basic business information. When we would ask a small business to tell us their annual revenue, their annual expenses, and they struggled to get that information, that's a concern. So how do we backtrack that? How do we find out how to get to the heart of that? And the reality is, is we needed more programming that we've outpaced Our business growth has outpaced available services. So we've gone to our board of supervisors and provided them the data that we got through this and said, we'd like to do more. So in our next fiscal year, we're asking for two additional employees, one who will be specifically focused on minority business outreach and to increase our small business and entrepreneurship support. Our long-term goals are to offer in-person counseling and business educational programming to use our resource partners to just do more. I mean, the reality is just do more and get people help that they need, accounting, HR, legal, marketing. And we say all the time, you know, somebody goes into a small business, they might make the best sandwiches, the best soup in the world. Chances are they've never used QuickBooks. Yeah. Chances are they've never hired somebody. They've never created a website. And all of those are essential to running a small business. And they're trying to right now survive and recover from a pandemic and wear all those different hats. So we want to help. Yep. So that's what we're going to do. I totally agree. And uh, that's kind of the story of our business. I don't know if you've heard of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses program, but they chose us in 2017 and one of the 10,000 small business. It's an accelerator program. It's not for like startups. You already had to have, I think half a million in revenue or something, but they taught us all of that. I mean, every Thursday we did it and our revenues probably tripled since then. So what I learned was, yes, an entrepreneur is born with a certain sense of risk. You know, I've heard people say you can't train an entrepreneur. I'm not sure you can train an entrepreneur to be the risk taker, but you can train them on everything else. Because I learned so much through that that I didn't used to know. Absolutely. And and business basics are essential. Yeah. And our businesses need that. And they also need it on demand because, uh, you know, I kind of think gone are the days of the 
chamber of commerce luncheon where you have one person get up and speak for two hours on, I don't know, insurance. Cause the businesses are struggling running. They'd rather log in at 10 at night and watch yeah. it, you know, when they want to. So I think a lot of that change is going to come. So I applaud y'all for what y'all have done. So talk about now what you're doing with the ARP funding. I know you're going to continue those grants, but talk about anything else y'all are doing, because I know a lot of our communities really want to hear best practices and how to spend some of this money to really, uh, you know, help their community the best. The ARPA funding has been, I think, a challenge for a lot of communities in an interesting way from CARES Act. CARES Act was, you know, limited funds for a limited period of time and very restrictive. And so you heard a lot of communities say, I can't use this for what I need it for, but we may do and we spent the money. So ARPA sort of opens the door a little bit more, but because it's broader, I think it's creating a vacuum where now communities are saying, I don't understand enough to use it. And only half jokingly, my answer to that is talk to your attorneys, your city, your county, your state, whoever it is, make sure they're comfortable with what ARPA says you can't do. Talk to the person who's got to cut checks for you and make sure they're comfortable with it and then just do it. Businesses need the support and whatever that means for your community. So for Loudoun, we looked at the data we got through CARES Act and through our initial business grants, and we called them the business interruption funds, and saw a recovery happening, saw the start of a recovery, saw our employment numbers from the state leveling off and started to, in our outreach efforts, hear from people about what they were trying to do. And what really stood out were how many businesses made a change, made a pivot, and now want to make it permanent and want to do something beyond COVID. So it's related to COVID. They made the change because of an impact. But a good example is a restaurant who maybe didn't offer delivery or was a minor portion of their business. Now it's essential. So they need to add a drive-through window or they need to purchase a new cooler or they need to wrap their car, they need to purchase a vehicle or wrap the vehicle in branding because they're now going to do that all the time. I talked to a restaurant who wants to tear up carpeting and change their tabletop so they're easier to sanitize and people feel more comfortable to come back and to sit down dining. Manufacturer who wants to buy a piece of equipment so they're not so dependent on the backlogged supply chain and they can make a few more things in-house. So we decided to use a significant portion of the allocation that Loudoun County received for ARPA to do two grants. One, we did a hotel grant. Our hotel industry is very dependent on business travel, which is lagging from leisure travel. And then we opened a business reinvestment and recovery grant on December 1st. And this grant is not emergency funding. We're offering up to $50,000 per business. We have about $4.9 to spend for reinvestment. So for projects where the business is making an investment, it's going to have a high impact on the county and the business, and we can be a part of that funding. So we opened on December 1st and had overwhelming support. In an hour, we had twice as many applications as we could fund. So in that moment, we made the decision to close the grant portal so as not to overload the system because we knew we were already basically out of funds, evaluated, looked at the data, made sure we had reached the right types of businesses, that the applications were all valid, and then have decided to reopen the grant portal. So on December 8th, for a short window from 12 to 3 p.m., we'll be reopening the grant portal. So those who missed that first window can go in and reapply. And then we will do a very detailed review process. And for communities listening, I'm happy to talk to you separately about what that looks like. We use an amazing system to do all of this. We onboarded a grant management system, which is a lifesaver and worth every penny of investment we've made. 
and we'll do a review process and we'll announce those awards in early February. Again, we're really looking at businesses that have made that pivot. And now to your earlier question, what are we going to do moving forward? What stays? What goes? How has COVID permanently changed their business? And can we help make sure that whatever the next crisis is, whenever it happens, we have more resilient businesses, we have stronger businesses. So taking in parallel, you know, looking at the startup businesses and the small businesses, micro businesses, getting that educational program and back up and running, get those resource partners motivated to provide the resources businesses need where they are and when they need it. And then put this little bit of money in, I mean, 4.9 is a lot of money in some regards, but it's going to go very, very fast. Put that into businesses that are really doubling down on their position here in Loudoun and are going to be stronger because of that. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make? For me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database. Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other builders and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success. Sounds like y'all are really placing a lot of emphasis on communication. And I appreciate that as a small business owner. But even right now, I was telling Colleen earlier, I have COVID now. And this is not a Republican or Democrat statement. We don't get into politics here. And I vote for both. I can't figure out how long to quarantine. Like, it's so confusing. I've literally been all over the websites and like, okay, one will say 10 days from when it started. One will be like two days after your last test. One's like, there's not even clear. Like, I don't want to get out and make anybody sick. I think the economic developers like y'all that are clearly communicating with your businesses are really making great strides. Sounds to me that's a priority to y'all. Instead of making the businesses read, you know, 10 pages of legal words to figure out what they're applying for businesses don't have time for all of that. So I think if I had to guess, that's part of your success. Absolutely. Communication is critical. And I've talked to a lot of communities who are struggling with, you know, their budget or their staff time. And the reality is it does take a lot of time, but if you can do it and you can do it in-house, if you can have your people, then the joke is no longer a joke that I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. People will believe it because they'll know you can do it and you'll back it up. And that makes your business attraction efforts later more successful because they pick up the phone. We have a great return on our surveys now. We've gotten net new deals out of that communication where somebody's like, well, I don't qualify for the grant, but I am thinking of this. I talked to a business the other day who said, I don't have a business in Loudoun, but I love what you're doing. Can I talk to you about opening a space? Wow, That's fantastic. That's what you want. It's not why we did it but that's a great opportunity to just expand that reach. And so it really is about just committing to it, 
putting whatever budget you have aside to make it as efficient and practical as possible, being honest and transparent in your communication. Listen, we know we can't fund everybody. And, you know, we've all fielded very difficult phone calls, very frustrated businesses who don't qualify for one grant or the other. And we wish we could. If I could grow money on trees, I would do it and fund every single business. We know we can't. So we're trying to do the best that we can with the information we have, be clear about that, be fair and consistent in how we apply it, and then call them back and say, how else can we help? Right. What else can we do? Well, and I think a good lesson for economic developers. At first, I was seeing when it first happened, and I was talking to other businesses, and businesses were frustrated because economic developers would just forward maybe whatever they had received, like about PPP, and it'd be 10 pages. Your best bet as an economic developer is take that and put it into some common sense language. Yep. Even if you got to put italics at the bottom, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah you say, talk to your lawyer, yeah. have your legal language in there. If you go to www.loudonbusinessfund.org, you'll see that our main page is prioritized with videos and bullet points. Perfect. But over yeah. on the right, there's that terms and conditions page that's gone through the county attorney's office. Yep. There's footnotes, there's italics throughout. But you can watch a video to walk you through the process, download a sample application, translate the process into multiple languages. We really try to think about exactly what you're saying, Chad, is how do we take out the confusion, get to the point? But yeah, all that stuff's there. All the legal requirements, all the specific information is there somewhere, but focus on what they need. Yeah. And I have a unique perspective because I used to work for government, run an economic development agency, and now I've built a small business. I see both sides. And that's where I think y'all are really hitting the mark is, you know, explaining it in such a way that people can understand without having to have a law degree. So you mentioned that most of your team didn't come out of economic development. And I don't think any of us do. Most economic developers I know fell in it. One or two wanted to be one, but everybody else fell in it. So how'd you fall into it? And what do you really love about it? Oh, that's a great question. So I fell into economic development because I had been doing a lot of things that sort of were around the edges of it. So I started my career in public relations and marketing for a nonprofit. And so that comes with a lot of interaction with your local community, working with a lot of different resource partners, and really loved the community aspect. I really enjoyed working with my community to do something that mattered. And that was while I was going to law school. So I get my law degree, graduate in the middle of the Great Recession, not a job to be found anywhere, and had to work. So really, some of this is happenstance, but there was a position open on a local government to be a legislative aide. And I said, well, I can do that. <laughs> and got the job and fell in love with the government side of the law. And really seeing the ability to influence at the local level. So I was able to work on some projects that turned into legislation and help write that legislation and help write things that would be good for the community. In doing that, found myself in a chamber of commerce with a small business development center. And that's where it all started to come together. So I'm a small business counselor, and I was specifically working with export assistance and watching companies in the growth model trying to grow and found that that's really where I was passionate is working with individual businesses to grow, to accelerate and seeing that, you know, really at the local level, these are your neighbors. These are the people who support you. And these are the businesses that you go out to eat at or your children go and do athletics there and, and felt like that was where I wanted to be. So I started looking around the country, talked to my husband about it and said, I think that's where I want to land is in local government. 
in economic development, but I'm an opportunist as well. So I was looking at jobs all over and this job came up, Loudoun County came up. I had a conversation with Buddy Riser and he invited me to come out. And I said to my husband, I said, I'm going to go do this interview, but I know this would be a big leap moving from Northwest Ohio to Northern Virginia with two young kids. We had a two-year-old at the time. I said, so if it's not real, I'll come back and I'll put a squash. So I'm not going to uproot us for nothing. And I got off the plane and I looked at my husband. I said, we're moving to Virginia. And he said, you get the job? I said, no, but we're moving to Virginia. That's where I need to be. I said, I need to be there and be a part of this team. And it's the best decision I've ever made. And, you know, seeing that come to fruition in that economic development organization of the year is just icing on the cake because this team of economic developers in Loudoun, I'd put up against anybody in the world, their heart, their passion, and seeing what you do impact the community can't beat that. Mm -hmm. You can't beat when you go out to a restaurant and you see somebody and they see your logo on your shirt and they start crying because the grant you gave them kept the doors open and you see a business still operating that you know, you were on the phone with them and you know they were days away from closing and you help them, can't beat that. That's where I want to be. Well, I love your passion for small business. And I think I made a mistake when I was an economic developer. I just chased the big ones and we landed some. I mean, I was successful, but when it came to small business, I don't know that I thought that we could have enough impact, you know, probably ignorantly looking back. And now I look at our own business. And when we did the Goldman Sachs accelerator, we had three employees. Now we have nine. Think of the taxes that that means, not only the taxes that our employees pay, but when they go buy stuff at the store and how many times that money rolls over. And, you know, our primary locations are in St. Louis and New Orleans and the the Greater New Orleans Inc., uh, which is the Economic Development Institute here, invested in that Goldman Sachs program. And I think it's no telling the taxes they're getting out of us now. And they didn't have to give us a single incentive. They just had to train us. They just had to open our eyes and train us. And so I've often said, if I were an economic developer again, I wouldn't just go big game hunting. I would do that. That's part of it. But I'd have a heck of a small business training program. What I always did is I just left it over to my score my community college or whatever. And I just assumed they would do it. And they probably did a decent job, but I wasn't involved in it. If I had to do it again, I would have been involved in it. Yeah. One of the things that we really looked at is becoming a hub and spoke model for the community and really seeing the county government as the hub. So we don't have to provide every single service, but we need to have a partnership with all of the service providers and be that no wrong door. So you mentioned community colleges. We have a great relationship with Northern Virginia Community College. Our tourism and hospitality board, Visit Loudoun, is ongoing and strong partner, our chambers of commerce, and they have programs. I don't need to replicate every single one of their programs, but we can use our platform to make sure businesses know about it and then work together to assess and fill gaps. So Chamber of Commerce, you want to do this because that's core to your membership. Great. Community College, you're doing this. Where are the gaps? And then we as the hub can fill it or find the partner to fill it. I think that's a great model. And like you said, big game, the big wins, those are fun. I mean, there's no economic developer who won't tell you that's fun. We're a very competitive group of mostly type A personalities. So we love the big wins and we enjoy working with companies of all sizes, but COVID really laid bare how important business retention Mm. and small business development is. Again, so you have something to attract the big fish to. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this.
In June of 2020, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, and we already have more than 100 economic developers as part of our movement. The movement was really built to help improve the quality of lives of economic developers. It helps economic developers land more deals, helps them get along better with their board and elected officials, helps them deal with the media, even helps them learn how to build their resume if they want to look for a new job. So thank you to our first 100 members, and if you want to join the movement, go to the nextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more. Well, it's easy to just see tax numbers before economic developers. What put it in perspective for me, if you think about why it's so important to save every small business you can. So my niece is a school teacher in Mississippi. And I looked one day at just the taxes that we were paying as a company, you know, next move group. Much less, you know, how much that money rolls around when our employees go and buy stuff at the grocery store or whatnot. I just put it in to my own self. I look, we could afford seven teachers. Our company is funding seven teachers. If you take the numbers out of it and just look at what she's making and what. So if you think about every little restaurant you save, it's not just that restaurant. I mean, you know, it's the teachers, it's the money for the roads, it's the money for the school, you know, so on and so forth because of the taxes that are generated. And I think yeah, and the taxes are a multiplying effect for sure. Absolutely. When, and it's best to think of it in human being instead of just, yep. oh, 222,000. You know, it's best to look at it and really understand yep. what is this paying for? In your point earlier, you know, small businesses can grow. And so we have also really looked at our tech companies, our biohealth, you know, companies that are poised for growth and want to make sure they get through too. Cause yeah, we're, you know, looking at a company today is going in front of our board of supervisors for what is quite frankly, not a large incentive. And they may have, you know, three, five employees now, but they're poised to have up to 50 in three years. So that's a good deal. You know, so they're a small business right now, but that's not always what they're going to be. And so it's important to get to them when they are in that small phase and build that relationship because a lot of those small businesses, even a restaurant, you know, we have a well-known restaurant here in Loudoun started off very small. Now has three locations is over a hundred employees. So they can all grow. That's right. Well, take us back to when you were 10 or 11 years old running around Ohio, what did you want to be when you grew up? And let's compare that to what you're doing. <laughs> 10 year old Colleen, I think wanted to be a Marine biologist a popular movie. I'm going to date myself about a big orca whale <laughs> had every kid wanting to go work at SeaWorld and be a marine biologist. So a little different, a little different now as an economic developer. But I think what happened in between there is a real finding out that what I really like is people and places. And I think that I probably would have not been a very good marine biologist. Words are my area of expertise, not so much numbers and science. We have a joke in the office. If it's in a spreadsheet, I go to my research team and I'm like, what does this say? And if you need me to do something on it, please put it in a Word document. But I respect all of that. I have this high, high love of our highly technical people and their ability to crunch those numbers and give good data and make sure we're doing the right thing. But no, 10-year-old Colleen was not saying I was going to be an economic developer. <laughs> yeah. Well, who would you say has been the biggest influence on your career? Wow, that's a great question. Biggest influence on my career overall would be my father. He never shied away from having good conversation with me. Even as a kid, he's to this day, 76 years old, reads the paper front to back every day and 
loves to talk about what's going on in the community and politics on all sides of the aisle. And even as a kid, I remember asking him, what are you reading? And he would explain that. So that curiosity and that love of learning definitely comes from my dad. More recently, I have to give all credit to Buddy Reiser. I think he got a lot of flack for hiring some random lawyer from Ohio to come to Northern Virginia. And I couldn't work for a greater boss. I couldn't work in a greater community with support from our board. But Buddy's vision for this office and support is astounding and really innovative and creative. And you can go to him with an idea and say, I got a crazy idea. (laughs) I think we should do this. Okay, give me the plan, give me the budget, and let's do it. Let's make it. And that's something that I think is, to your point about entrepreneurs and entrepreneur himself, he's not averse to risk. And that makes a very, a very fun environment to work in. So I give Buddy all the credit for my success here in Loudoun and for our success as a community. But it starts with my dad and teaching me that being a nerd is cool and will serve you for your whole life. Learn, read, ask questions. And that's always going to get you to the next right move. Well, do you have any daily habits to maybe they're nerdy habits in the spirit of being a nerd, but uh, is there anything you do every day, a morning routine, or I just do this every single day that kind of keeps you on track that others might can learn from? My daily routine is probably twofold, personal and then professional. So personally, I try to start every day with some nice big deep breaths and start with my family ground myself and my husband and my two beautiful daughters, make sure that they're set and they're having a good day. Never, ever leave their sight without them knowing I love them because that's always going to be my grounding. That's always going to be my home base. And then I get to the office and I do a review. I'm a color coded person. So one of the daily habits I have is my calendar and my to-do list is color coded so I can quickly assess priorities, nice (laughs) to-dos, meetings, a review of everything I've got going on for the day, set expectations, make those changes first thing in the morning. If the schedule needs moved around, be conscious of other people's time and try to make those changes early in the day, give people time to prepare. And then I read the news and I do a quick review. I usually do international, national, local. So in that order, see what the international news is saying about what's going on in the world. What does our national news say about what's going on in the country? Read our local news. Make sure I didn't miss anything that's going to be on fire that day and then get to work. Awesome. And then we have a lot of young folks listening to the show. And so I think one, they can learn from your daily habits, but what would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever received in this industry that others might could learn from? Best piece of advice. If you are newer in the industry, listen more than you talk and be open to change. People are going to say things to you and do things that are going to hurt. They're going to be frustrating, but there's always something to learn. And before you respond, walk away. Don't send the email. If you've been pounding the keys on an email, stop, put it in draft, come back to it. I think that drive, particularly in economic development, like I said, most of us are type A. There's a level of ego that has to exist to do what we do. We want to know we know everything. We want to believe we have all the answers. Learn from the people around you and listen more than you talk. Awesome. Well, Colleen, as we wind down, is there anything else you'd want to share with our listeners that we might not have got to? If anybody listening has questions about how we put together this grant program or any of our programs, please email me. Please call me. I'm happy to share that with you. And you know, you can find out more about Loudoun County and the work that we're doing at biz.loudon.gov. 
biz.loudon.gov. And for our folks listening, we'll put this in an email, but Loudon spell L-O-U-D-O-U-N. That's why a Southerner like me has such a hard time pronouncing it. So, uh, Colleen, thank you for being with us today. We appreciate it very much. Chad, thank you so much for having me.